Hey guys, what's going on? My name is Dr. Colin Zhu, and thank you so much for being here with us. This is the Thrive Bites podcast, and welcome to season five. Here we talk about three things, plant-powered living, enhancing emotional resilience, and creating a thriving mindset. And I interview the most passionate guests here, ranging from physicians to coaches to dietitians to entrepreneurs. And my hope is to give you really informative and high-valued conversations. So please Follow us here on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, and wherever you hear your podcasts. Come on in, and I can't wait to see you inside. Hey guys, it's Dr. Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc, and welcome to another episode of uh, Thrive Bites Podcast. And I'm joined by Dr. Chef Linda Shu, and she is the author of Spice Box Kitchen Eat Well and Be Healthy with Globally Inspired Vegetable Forward Recipes. And that's already been released. And we have a wonderful conversation about culinary medicine and what is going on in the food world and how can we make it uh, healthier you know, for us? And what is it going on in the healthcare world? And how do we make it uh, so we are less sick and more well? And so our conversation centers around what is culinary medicine and what is going on in the food world and how do we make it more healthy for us? And what is going on in a healthcare world? And how do we, you know, gravitate towards being less sick for us and be more well? So it's a wonderful conversation. She is a pioneer in the culinary world and the lifestyle world, lifestyle medicine world. And you don't want to miss this. And she has a special recipe demo for us as well. And I'll see you inside. Okay, guys. Well, welcome to another episode of Thrive Bites Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Colin Zhu. And thank you so much for being here with us. You could have been anywhere in the world and you decided to share your precious moments with us today. And I'm very, very, very appreciative and grateful. So I have a wonderful, wonderful guest with us today. I am so happy and elated that she is taking time out of her busy schedule uh, to be with us today. Um, Her name is Dr. Linda Shu, and she is an internal medicine physician. She's also a chef and the first director of culinary medicine at Kaiser Permanente. Permanente, uh, San Francisco, where she founded Thrive Kitchen, which is a teaching kitchen for patients. And she believes that the best uh, medicine is prevention. And uh, there, um, her cooking classes uh, showcase seasonal uh, produce. She lavishly flavors them with spices and fresh herbs. And her food writing has been published widely and has been interviewed frequently on television and in print. Her first cookbook, Spice Box Kitchen, Eat Well and Be Healthy with Globally Inspired vegetable for recipes was published in March 2021 and she is currently on the faculty at Kaiser Permanente School of Medicine and previously at UCSF and Stanford University and serves on the boards of San Francisco Marin Food Bank, Meals on Wheels San Francisco and the Teaching Kitchen Collaborative. So without further ado, please welcome Dr. Linda. Hello. (laughs) Hi Colin, good to see you. So good to see you. I've had the great pleasure of seeing you in person. So it's really, really nice to kind of do this backwards, you know, like usually you do this like virtually and then you hope to cross paths like in person. So thank you so much for taking the time out. I know you are such a busy, you know, uh, woman. And um, so I greatly, greatly appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Can you uh, share with the audience uh, where you're calling from today? San Francisco, California. 
All right. How how is SF nowadays? Um, it's really bright and clean today because it rained, which was quite unusual all day yesterday. Um, uh-huh. So yeah, it's it's pretty good. Opening nice. up, more stuff getting sort of back to normal. Yes, yes, yes. Especially the food, right? Because it's uh, you know it's all about the food, and I know uh, SF is a huge mecca for it. So um, I actually haven't been in in quite a while. So I'm gonna have to pay you a, a trip soon. <laughs> yeah, I'll take you on a food tour. Yes, yes. Um, so I know that today we're going to be going into um, uh, a little bit of origin story, some interview questions, and then we're going to go transition to a demo. So I'm super excited um, about that. Um, so my first question, usually, uh, I like to ask is, you know, what is the origin story? You know, how did you go from point A to point B? You know, you're a doctor and you're you're also a chef. So instead of asking you how did you you know find yourself in culinary medicine. My first question would be, what was the moment for you that sparked the light bulb to say like, hey, I got to do something different. I don't know how, I don't know what blueprint I have to follow, but I feel called to go on this path. Um, What was that moment for you? I love that question, Colin. And I know we've been chatting about how I don't consider myself an entrepreneur. Like I kind of like to stick to what's (laughs) known and what's safe and what's been done before. Um, So it's pretty uncharacteristic and significant that I... I did this in a very big way, and this is 10 years ago, Um, and it really truly was a moment. I was at a culinary medicine course called the Healthy Kitchens, Healthy Lives, which is held annually in Napa, California, Um, and it's a CME course where it brings together the worlds of food and nutrition as well as medicine um, and basically shows how they need to work together and that it's is something that can be done. And that these days sounds somewhat like, oh yeah, there are people doing this, you know, you do this, there are, you know, a dozen or more people who do this a lot now. But 10 years ago, that was pretty new. And I wasn't looking for it. That was the kind of thing, which I think maybe is a lesson for life. I wasn't looking for it. And yet it grabbed me and I knew, and I did the very uncharacteristic thing of stepping outside of my safety zone and saying, I'm going to do this. So after that conference where I had that light bulb moment of, this is what I need to make my patients happier and healthier. And this is what I need to actually be a happier primary care doctor. Um, I taught my first cooking class to patients less than a week after that, which is, again, crazy. Um, And it's it hasn't stopped since then. That's awesome. What was that first class like? Like, how did you go about advertising it? Um, It was an interesting thing. It was an experiment. So um, where I worked at that time had a big research program. And uh, a friend of mine who had also been at that conference, but also who knew that, you know, I like to cook quite a bit. He was a medical director of a research study looking at lifestyle approaches to controlling hypertension. And as part of that, they talked about food, right? This is kind of the thing that we do in medicine. We talk about it, but they didn't do anything to really show people and to give them new tools to help them through food to improve their health. And so he said, you know, we're going to do a grocery store um, next week. And this grocery store has a community kitchen that we can use. Do you want to teach a cooking class? And my reaction was, oh, that's crazy. I've never, I don't know how to teach cooking. I can cook, but 
teaching is something totally different. He's like, just try it, you know? And so that's, that's how that happened. And so it didn't have to be advertised because it was a captive audience. <laughs> a captive audience sometimes. Um, when, when, it, when there's always food, you know, you know, they'll come, right? Yeah. And, um, and so it was the people who were there who, um, you know, were actually already open by being people who enrolled in the study to sort of non-medical ways of approaching their health. And so they're excited. There was, you know, the promise of free food, some fun and free dinner. Again, these are all things that are very helpful for the work that I do. Um, and that's how it went. Nice, nice. And because, uh, you know, I'm right there with you. It's not a natural thing, you know, for the doctor to be on stage, right? To showcase, you know, something more than the prescription pad. You're showcasing your personality, you know, who you are as a human being, you know, some humor, right? And that helps to resonate. That helps to bridge gaps. You know, food, um, as you already know, and I'm sure audience list, uh, audiences are listening know is that that is usually the the centerpiece of how you bring people together, you know, mm -hmm. and food is everything It's economical, it's cultural, it's emotional, it's right. everything. So I think there's a lot of beauty in that, you know, to kind of, you know, bring that to the conversation, um, to help make, you know, in our line of work, you know, positive behavior changes. So, mm -hmm. so it, it's great. I'm so glad that you made the move and as a person of color, you know, um, you know, Asian descent, um, it is also, we talked about this offline as well, you know, also uncharacteristic. So I really applaud you making that step forward and for others, you know, to lead the way as well. Oh, thanks, Colin. I mean, right back at you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so shifting uh, a little bit, um, you know, having, can you share with the audience how long you've been in medicine practicing? And then what did you find over time that was, you know, really missing in the healthcare landscape that you felt that culinary medicine, your work, um, you know, had to bring to light or show, showcase more of? Yeah, so I've been in practice for almost 25 years now, which is really a, a very long time. And um, at the point where I started doing this, it was about, you know, my 10th year of practicing primary care. And so, you know, I was pretty entrenched. I knew kind of what was standard. I had a feeling of what worked, what didn't work. And my feeling truly at the time, although I wasn't so able to articulate it, was that it wasn't working that well. Like I felt that I wasn't as effective as I could be. I wasn't as creative as I wanted to be. I, I think I felt kind of trapped by a protocol that nobody was happy with, neither my patients nor myself. And so I think this is something, again, that is is missing, is involving the patient in a very active role as truly more of a partnership. Um, you know, I think we are both of, you know, generations which are a little bit different from traditional medicine where the patient is seen more of as a partner as opposed to being a top-down author authoritative role of the physician. And yet so much of practice is still very much the patient listens to what you tell them to do as opposed to your asking. And I think this comes from my undergraduate background in medical anthropology, asking the patient, who are you? What do you do? What works for you? What doesn't work for you? 
how can I help you with this? And it seems so basic, I think, to people who do a lot of other jobs. Like, yeah, that's a no-brainer. Like, if you don't know what somebody wants, how are you going to help them with that? But it isn't that common, I think, in medical practice. So I think, in general, that sort of partnership model is what is still missing to a large degree in medicine, and something which I love to do through food. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, it wasn't until, and I resonate the same way. Um, as much as I loved, you know, my schooling, um, I think my schooling did a much better job than my training <laughs> in terms of like really speaking to the person. Um, you know, I came, you know, I went to an osteopathic school, and you know, they were as holistic as you can. Mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, you know, it's really about that partnership, that collaborative effort that you have with the patient, and actually sitting them level to level eye to eye yeah. and, you know, human to human at the end of the day and say, um, you know, how can I guide you to where you need to go as opposed to let me give you directions, not, you know, you know, not cutting them off, right? Like every few seconds. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, seemingly you think you know where, where they want to go. And mm -hmm. I think that when we spend enough time listening um, and being mindful and actually hearing the words that they say, they usually already tell you, you know, not just what what's wrong with them, but also like, you know, where they want to go. They just need, you know, our assistance and guidance with it. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We're on the same page with that for sure. <laughs> That's awesome. And on the flip side, can you share with the audience kind of like what was your impression when you entered into the culinary world after school and then you went, um, you know, into working? What was that like? And then what did you find missing from the food world that, you know, from your experiences felt like, okay, there's something that we can do here? Mm -hmm. I, I think this is a really good question because if I approach it even from the educational model, right, since I'm a cooking teacher right now, um, is that there's still a lot missing about the focus on how to cook in a way that is health supportive, whatever that means for people, whether that is plant-based or something else, um, where that's not really emphasized. So um, that part of my story is after I had been teaching those cooking classes for three or five years, I decided to take a sabbatical, self-funded from work and go to culinary school, which is pretty crazy. Like I realized that my classmates were young and were young enough to be my children if I had had children at a young age. And that was a little bit weird for me. Um, it was a totally different and fabulous, probably best time of my life kind of experience of, you know, working on a team. We work on teams in medicine, but it's different. A tr I think a really, truly collaborative, pretty equal team, um, everyone with their roles, but recognizing that each of those roles is equally important in the final product and then getting the final product, which is delicious, right? It's the food. Um, but most culinary schools, mine included, focus on the French culinary tradition, which has, you know, more uh, butter, eggs and cream than, sugar. than you could ever imagine, actually. Um, but what, when I went to culinary school, I, and this is kind of my personality also, but I think what you, what one does when you take time off of work um, is you have to go in with knowing why you're there. So I had a couple of very specific reasons for going. One was to learn cooking techniques, which it doesn't matter what ingredients you're cooking with, like it can be plant-based or not plant-based, but uh, technique is everything. That's crucial for making your food taste good and um, for kind of just maximizing the possibility that 
now my students will cook at home. That's really what I wanted. Um, and so I wanted to learn the techniques and along with that uh, flavoring techniques, which involve spices, you know, many things other than just salt and pepper, many things other than sugar and fat, right? So even though these are also crucial in the French culinary tradition, um, you also have to learn how to season things properly, not overdo it, not underdo it. So that was another thing I was very interested in. Um, and then finally, I wanted to learn how to be a good teacher. So as I mentioned, when I first started teaching patients, I was like, all right, I'm going to go with this. And say, okay, you do this, you do that. And it kind of, it kind of worked. I actually felt like, oh, I'm actually kind of a natural at this and I enjoyed it. Um, and yet I knew just like with teaching anything, whether you're teaching medicine, whether you're teaching math, whether you're teaching cooking, there is a better way to do things. So I, I went there with that. Um, and so I would say that what I got out of culinary school were those things, but there was not an emphasis on, again, health supportive cooking. And I think there's space for this. I mean, I, there are some programs out there, but not many in person. And um, you know, maybe putting it out there. I would love to be more involved in that going forward because I also think, you know, obviously the food business is a business and it's been a really challenging time uh, with the pandemic for so many, so many wonderful restaurants haven't been able to survive. Um, and now, now people are starting new businesses. And I think there is actually now in the food world, people are looking towards health a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So from a business perspective, it makes sense if people want to think about this. Like, how do we actually get this out there more, both if you can teach people how to cook this way, then they'll have successful restaurants that serve the kind of food that I think we both would love to eat. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, there's so so we can go on forever with this. Um, <laughs> my good friend, uh, you 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 know Dr. Robert Graham. Yeah. Um, you know we we've had this conversation. I had him for another interview, and um, it's almost like you have different silos going on, right? You have the food industry, you have the health and medical industry, you have um, you know um, you know the insurance industry, the pharmaceutical industry. You have all these different players, right? Trying to get their own you know stuff it's business at the end of the day healthcare yeah. is a business unfortunately um but at the end of the day uh, our health individual health our community health and now global health um we we're all affected right the pandemic has shown us that uh, tremendously and a tremendous impact so it's in a way it's almost like how do we bring conversations together how do we get people to talk to one another be on the same page you know still you know get their own but still you know have um enough um you know to be able to kind of go around the table share right you can you know say you know in terms of currency you can say in terms of social currency you can say in terms of like you know that impact that you want to create so it's a uh you know never-ending uh you know battle per se um but yeah let's circle back uh back to that in a minute um so from fast forwarding you know a few years you know you are working for kaiser permanente you are working for academic organizations um so far and you're you're author right so far do you feel that the needle has been has has moved right in your you know your observations your experiences so far do you feel like we've you know made a dent right we've made mm -hmm. we've moved that needle a little bit and if not you know, what do you feel needs to happen in order to continue that? Yeah, no, that's a, a great question. And I actually think, yes, I think there has been a lot of change in this direction with so many people actually jumping on the bandwagon of this. Um, 
both doctors and the public. So doctors who are interested in culinary medicine, um, who realize the potential of this, who realize the potential of this for their patients as well as their personal career satisfaction. And I think um, patients are looking for something new too. And this is, again, food is everything. And it's very, it's part of everybody's life. And so it's something that everyone uh, can understand and is interested in. So I think that truly in the last five years, this movement has grown. And I'm thinking that with the next week's White House conference on um, food and nutrition and health, that we may see even more of this, um, that you are bringing together these silos and that we're getting, you know, national governmental attention to this for the first time since the 60s. That's huge. Mm -hmm. It's huge. And so while, you know, I am not naive enough to think that everything is going to change overnight, I think the needle is moving um, in the direction that we want it to go. And, you know, I, I will say even personally, not to take credit for it, but I think since I started Thrive Kitchen at Kaiser Permanente, which is a huge organization, um, that many more of these programs have started up as people have seen it and been like, oh, not not that I, they didn't have the idea before, but that they can see it can be done. They can see how easily it can be done if you want to start small, which is what I always advise people to do. So I'm very optimistic about it. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I see this, I see, you know, different iterations in like Adventist health and, you know, um, and even just like um, individual organizations like True North and, you know, so many different um, uh, iterations have been, you know, coming up and uh, it's always exciting. Um, you know, I'm actually on location uh, at the Plantrician Project and Dean Ornish was, you know, streaming virtually and he he said that he was going to be at that White House uh, um, uh, uh, conference. So um, it's really, it's really exciting. Um, I'm right there with you. Um, I think because we're both entrenched in it, you could see it, right? You could see it yeah. more. Um, but and it's really exciting. But definitely, we we definitely know that a lot needs to be done. And it's that teamwork, it's that collaborative effort um, to do it, uh, and creating that ripple effect. Um, so one more question um, is, uh, you know, before we transition to the demo is, what else do you see going on coming down the pike, you know, coming down the horizon? What is coming up for you that you are, you know, excited that you're going to be working with, that you're happy to see, you know, other companies or other organizations or, you know, what have you been seeing down the pike that you're can't wait that you're happy to see is going on to kind of shift the waves a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think this actually answers all the other questions we've talked about um, so far today in that I think a missing link that will be crucial is insurance payment for this, right? <laughs> so right now, a lot of things are, you know, patients have to pay a fee for. My classes are subsidized by Kaiser. And so for from that insurance perspective, you know, it's covered for them, but it's part of that model of prevention. Um, but for most people who are in a fee-for-service model, you have to pay if you want this advice. And that that's really hard. I think that limits, um, certainly it limits for some people whether or not they can get this kind of information at all. Um, so I would love to see, and this is part of what the White House Conference is hoping to address and to encourage, is if we can get 
Medicare to pay for this a cooking class as a form of what I like to call applied nutrition, right? This is, again, the tool, the tool that the patient will take home, not just the knowledge, but the actual confidence and skills they need to implement this into their lives from this day forward. We need insurance to cover that. And I think we're seeing, we are seeing a little bit of that with medically tailored meals. Um, yeah. I'd love to see more of that, but I would love to see not just that, but my cooking class is covered so that in, in whatever environment, somebody can do that sort of thing. I'm excited by that prospect and I think it will happen to some degree. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Brenda Davis, um, RD, you know, says it uh, a lot where, you know, if you can make the healthy choice, the easy choice, yes. um, you know, the, it, it, it will just, oh man, it will just lift up the burden through so many different things, you know, mm -hmm. um, health, racial disparities, you know, different socioeconomic classes, food access, um, you know, everything. So that does, um, you know, kind of answer that. Um, so yeah, we'll see what happens. And, you know, very, very excited, you know, to see because that conversation, I'm sure when you first started 10 years ago, you know, people just kind of look at you with a raised eyebrow. You're like, what? Yeah. Food is medicine? Cooking? Right. Like what, what was the common like naysaying like comment or skepticism that, that you received? Well, I'll have to say is that when I was doing it where I, pre I, I previously worked somewhere else because I didn't get enough support for it because it was thought to be a nice extra and it's not a nice extra and I, I can't volunteer forever. Right. So that said everything to me. And that's when I started to look for a place that would understand the concept more, even from a business perspective, that prevention is good healthcare business. It completely is. You save healthcare dollars for things that you really need them for. It's a win-win for everyone. I really think so. Um, and, you know, there, there is so, so much of what I've done along this path has been like, what? No one's going to do that. Like when I wanted to, you know, when I first pitched my cookbook idea, they're like, why would someone want a cookbook from a doctor? I'm like, no, this is a very special cookbook from a special doctor. <laughs> like I went to culinary school. This is basically like my, my classes in book form so that other people who can't take my classes can again make it delicious and easy to do the right thing which is to do home cooking that will make people healthier and feel good and also really emphasize the pleasure of eating um, and so I think because I've been you know lucky enough to have success with these sort of unusual things I'm now I'm more like yeah that'll work out like if this idea makes enough sense that I want to put my energy into it I, I feel pretty confident that you know working with a lot of different people who have different perspectives is the way to go forward yeah yeah and i can't emphasize it enough you know to to really it's that combination of out-of-box thinking that application and then really it's the 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 courage and the guts you know to really encapsulate all of that so again you know it's really about leading by example so i really really um again applaud you so um so we're going to transition to the demo um and uh you know Let's get cooking. <laughs> all right, all right. Hey guys, we're gonna be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere, we'll be right back. Hey guys, if you are interested in having a consultation with me and actually see me one-on-one, um, the Chef Doc Lifestyle Medicine uh, practice has partnered with Plant-Based Telehealth and uh, we offer uh, lifestyle medicine consultation. So you'll be able to see me one-on-one -on -one and uh, I can go over your health history and seeing what we can do to fill in the gaps. Uh, we can talk about your physical health 
anything from food to lifestyle to diet to setting up your kitchen to cooking preparation to grocery shopping to your mental health. Um, I think it's important that we build our emotional resilience to talking about your sleep and how to stay hydrated and what are the best uh, medicines if necessary, what are the best supplementations if necessary. And we do all this in a very concise manner and it's a conversation. I take the time out to listen. I take the time out to really understand you from the ground up and to look at all aspects um, of your physical, emotional, and mental health. And um, please, you know, uh, drop me a line, schedule an appointment if you want to see me one-on-one. And um, I am very, very looking forward to learning more about you. And again, thank you so much for visiting uh, here uh, at The Chef Doc. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. Okay, great. So I'm going to be demonstrating a what I like to call a more complex than it is to actually cook um, tasting recipe for kimchi jjigae, which is a kimchi and tofu stew that comes from Korea. Um, this version is plant-based. Most of the time, it will not be traditionally. It'll have you know some sort of meat, usually. I think pork or beef in it, um, but I found that to be completely extraneous to get the essence of this, which is a really comforting, warm bowl of stew that tastes great over rice or some other cooked grain. Um, and uh, it's it's so simple that you really will not believe how easy it is. So first, going to show you the rest of the ingredients that go into it. Uh, the first thing is gochujang, which is the fermented uh, chili pepper and bean paste. This is what containers often look like, kind of like a red tub. Um, and that is going to get mixed into some vegetable stock. Um, can be any kind. Ideally, you make your own from your veggie scraps, um, but otherwise try to get one that is no added salt or low sodium at least. So be conscious of the salt um, because other condiments, including the gochujang, will have some sodium in them. Um, so you wanna be conscious of that. So I'm just gonna whisk this together first and we'll set that aside because that will be basically our stew braising liquid. Um, so I'm just gonna put this in here and whisk it together. And you just want it to dissolve basically into the broth. So what this um, gochujang tastes like is it's both spicy, but not super spicy. It's also sweet. Um, traditionally, it's made out of fermented barley. Um, although I think a lot of modern commercially available versions um, are sweetened with um, added sugars. Um, so you definitely want to read your labels with that. Um, and it has that really nice umami from the fermented beans. So there is a lot of flavor in that very small amount of the paste that we're putting in here. So now it's all basically evenly whisked into our broth here, and I'll set that aside. Other ingredients that are key, and these are all what I think of as being very common ingredients in Korean cuisine for flavor, lots of garlic. So I've got six cloves of garlic here that are peeled and smashed. We have kimchi as well. Um, so this is homemade, but you can use store-bought as well. Um, be careful if you're making this completely vegan uh, to look for a version that is plant-based because traditional forms of kimchi are often fermented with these little fish, um, which obviously are not plant-based. Um, and then we have our tofu. 
So for this, you can use soft or silken tofu. Um, we want something that is very delicate, um, but that still holds its shape to some degree. And so I've used soft here and then I've cut it already into uh, little squares. You'll see how that's gonna look when I put it all together. Um, and that is obviously the main source of protein in this. And then we have some green onions or scallions. And then finally, one of my favorite kinds of mushrooms, which are enoki mushrooms sometimes also called straw mushrooms. Um, so these are really fun. They look kind of like, you know, a magical forest or something. Like <laughs> yeah. um, and they have a crunch, which is really unusual for mushrooms. Um, so I like to put that in there as well. Um, and then you're gonna see how quickly this comes together. Uh, so I'm using my induction uh, burner for this. You're gonna hear a little bit of a fan, but it's gonna be fine. Uh, and we're just gonna add a very small amount of cooking oil for this. Um, so that we can cook together the garlic and kimchi and get some of the flavor out of it. We're going to get the flavor infusion from the garlic, which we're gonna put in first. And we're also going to uh, get flavor of some caramelization by cooking the kimchi in this. So I know you, you can't see directly into uh, the pot right now, but I'll hold it up at the important points. Um, so I've <laughs> added my garlic, and you can hear that sizzling away. And I'm going to add in my kimchi, which I have chopped up into smaller pieces. And you'll just cook that together. It's like my magic, uh, my magic vapors here. Um, cook it together until. You're, you drive out some of that liquid from the kimchi, um, which is driving the flavor and concentrating it into the kimchi itself. And again, bring out a little bit of sweetness. It smells so good right now. You know, this is actually one of the things I like to tell people is that your the flavor comes from so many layers in your cooking. Um, and that if you start with a flavorful base, no matter if that's spice-based or something that has spices like the chili and garlic in this, in the kimchi, um, the rest of your food preparation is actually very simple. So for me, making healthy food taste good for people is having people understand um, that it has to taste good, right? It's kind of breaking with that old concept of long ago where health food was meant to be good for you, uh, possibly in every way except for your soul and feeding your uh, sense of wanting pleasure. And I, I think you can never separate that out because nobody will stick with a healthy diet for a long time just because it's good for them. Um, it has to taste good and it has to be something that people crave. Okay, so now the kimchi um, is really fragrant and I'm just gonna hold it up and show you what that looks like inside the pot. Okay, so you see the nice. kimchi there and the garlic. And now for the next step, we're just going to add our cooking broth to it. That's the vegetable stock with the gochujang. I'm gonna pour it in. I think that's a pretty dramatic shot for your camera there, right, Colin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Little cascade of- Ca Cascade, the waterfall of the yeah. broth. <laughs> and the gochujang, so, I love uh, it. Make sure if you're doing this that you get all of the gochujang into it because again that small bit adds a lot of flavor and then we're going to bring this to a boil 
part of you know cooking virtually on camera like this is we want to compress it but you'll but what i'm actually cooking is going to be pretty much start to finish um and so you'll see this will come together in 20 minutes 30 minutes max including the prep because as you can see there are very few ingredients involved in this and also the proportions are not um, completely strict um, as opposed to with baking. With cooking you can make a lot of substitutions um, especially if you know if you understand the overall concept of the dish. So again the concept of this dish is it's a brothy stew that is going to be served over rice. So what does that mean? You want a flavorful broth right so that when it hits the rice um, it'll still have a lot of flavor. Um, you want it to be somewhat soupy. It's supposed to be nourishing a nice winter or rainy day meal. As, as I was telling Colin, um, it rained yesterday all day, which was very unusual for this time of year um, <laughs> in San Francisco. Um, and this would have been perfect yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you want to have your protein of that, the tofu. So the tofu needs to be in it long enough to soak up um, all those flavors and and not get overcooked where it kind of falls apart, although that's okay too for, for leftovers. It'll continue to absorb more flavor as you go. Um, and so we want to heat up the broth first so that it's kind of primed for the tofu. Um, it's starting to bubble here, so I'm going to add my tofu. So you see it's in these, these planks here. For aesthetic purposes, I like to kind of put it in a single layer, which I'll show you after I've done it all, on top of the broth. It's gonna be partially submerged, um, partially uh, floating at the top, kind of like a crocodile, <laughs> a crocodile <laughs> in a swamp. You'll see part of its head. Um, and so I'm just gonna put that on top there. I've actually, uh, I've actually seen albino crocodiles before. Yeah? Yeah. Pretty cool. Okay, so I learned something the other day, possibly true because I saw it on Twitter, um, <laughs> that when you see those crocodiles, or alligators and you uh -huh. see their head, they're not actually floating, they're standing, they're walking. Oh, interesting. Have you no. ever seen this before? Um, so I I've um so I lived in New Orleans for a little bit when I worked at the uh -huh. VA and I went on this tour and I've never seen them st uh, stand up, but when their head is above um the way, it's it's kind of like their body is just submerged and it's almost like they're getting ready to like, you know, lunge or like grab the meal or something. Very like interesting. I mean the picture so again, it was on Twitter, so I don't know if it was real, it was in a swimming pool. So mm -hmm. it could have cameras underneath and they literally were walking with their heads like that. Wow. Which is like, what is that? At any rate, that's what the tofu is gonna look like right now, which I'm gonna show you. Hold on. Um Okay, so I'm gonna tilt and hopefully not spill it all out. You can see it right there, yeah. right? Yeah, okay. yeah, the alligator, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're gonna bring this back to a boil have it simmer for a while and then add in our other ingredients um, which are going to be the mushrooms and the very last step um, the scallions or green onions um, i'm actually going to let this come to boil just so you can um so i feel like it's at the right temperature to add the mushrooms you don't want to overcook them so you know these are very simple things but they're not always obvious to people like why do we do things in stages why do we why can't we just dump it all in um you know could you just dump this all in together and put it on high and boil it yes you could but i always like to point out that if you do the techniques and the in the steps that are that i've mentioned there is a reason for all of that and with a slight bit more effort meaning just being patient doing you know doing the caramelization first um 
bring it to boil and simmering the tofu for a while so it absorbs all the flavor more before you add the more delicate ingredients at the end which you don't want to overcook, you'll have a superior product which you'll really enjoy much more. And again, anybody can do this. All I'm doing, all I did was stir fry, boil some stuff together, um, and then, you know, and I'm going to serve it over rice. So this is something for any home cook at any very basic level of cooking. And that is really, that is my ideal student. I love it when someone says, um, you know, like going back to that first class that I taught where I didn't really know how to teach cooking yet and where I had a captive audience. I still remember this very grumpy man who looked annoyed the whole time that he had to cook. He wasn't there for that. He looked really irritated. Then at the end of the class, he enjoyed the food a lot, but he still made a point to say to me, and this is actually very interesting to me, to say to me, I'm still not gonna cook. I'm still, you know, I live by myself. I'm 60, I've never cooked. Why would I change that now? And I said, okay, <laughs> you know, but then I had another sort of, um, almost at that point, mandatory class that he came to, and he was much more participatory that time. Um, and then a year later, after that program was over, after the study was over, and I was teaching in an adult education class at night, he came to my class, the class he had to pay for, mm. willingly, and he was no longer the scowly man. He was happy, and he said, I cook most days of the week now. I just wanted to come here to learn more from you and let you know that you had a really big impact in my life. Mm. And I just thought, oh my God, <laughs> you, like, you practically like stormed out of my first two classes. And, you know, I guess the point of that is giving people skills is very empowering for them. You know, for me, it's like, it's a little bit of a rush, honestly. Like, I love making an impact on someone's life that way, which honestly, even as a doctor, you never really see that immediate. Like, I'm not a trauma surgeon, so I'm not, like, stopping the bleeding. <laughs> I don't get the benefit of saying, like, oh, yeah, that guy was about to bleed out, and I saved him. But I get this benefit now, which I never really had before, of mm. this guy was going to continue with his, ha his not-so-great habits of his entire life. And I saved him. I, I changed the path of his life yeah. in a way that was comfortable for him, that he chose to do. No one forced him at this point. Mm -hmm. And that was a beautiful thing to me. So all of that is to say, I'd love to introduce people to simple recipes that might broaden their idea of what healthy cooking is. This is one of them. Okay, yeah. so now it's bubbling away. You can see the steam. Um, and I'm just gonna lay my mushrooms on top. Okay, like this. And, and, and Dr. Linda, can you um, tell the audience, like, where do you find enoki mushrooms? So, oh, yes. And I was talking about substitution. So um, kimchi, you can find in a lar lot of large supermarkets these days and tofu as well. Like, you know, regular, like all purpose supermarkets. Um, the gochujang is a little bit more difficult to find. If you can't find that, I might substitute either just gochugaru, which is the dried chili pepper that's used in Korean cooking or um and but you also want that bean flavor so you could substitute Chinese dobanjang which is the same idea a spicy bean paste a Korean would not agree with me but I, I promise you'll get the same concept um and if you can't find that just use any chili powder whether it is cayenne um 
or chili flakes, you know, you can still do it. It won't be exactly the same, but it'll be, it will be fine. And then for these mushrooms, you'll have to go to some sort of Asian supermarket for these, a Chinese supermarket, Korean supermarket, a pan Asian supermarket. They're going to be a little hard to find elsewhere. Although in California, I think we're pretty lucky. You can get a lot mm -hmm. of Asian ingredients at like Safeway or something like that. Sorry, mm -hmm. I'm just um, leaning this down. But even though I, I love these because they're special, they're crunchy, they look cool. You, um, they're almost like noodle-like. So um, for someone who might want to have this without any grain, without any added carbohydrates, um, you could actually have a noodle sensation from eating these. You can substitute any mushroom, whether it's your plain old white mushroom um, or some other, and any mushroom that you have or that you like would be fine. Does not have to be an Asian mushroom. This is just what I, I recommend, but again, I want this to be accessible and inexpensive for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, so any mushroom will do. And then I think I think I would add to that if uh, you know uh, is it transports you you know if you haven't been to that area it, it takes you somewhere right um, yeah. and if you have it takes you back um, yeah. so I think I highly encourage you know to really seek out the ingredient and if you can't then substitute so exactly all right so now this is simmering away and ideally I would have you simmer this for 10 20 minutes to really um, get some more flavor into your tofu. Although, you know, you will be getting a lot of flavor from the broth itself. Now it's time to add your green onion. And you don't, you want these to remain green, so you're not gonna boil it for a long time, so you add it at the end. And I'm actually gonna bring this closer to you so you can see it. So, yes. is that the right, Colin? All right, so yes. let me get some pot holders and bring it closer. Actually, I wonder if I can just push this forward first, um, and then I don't have to lift up the whole thing. Still have to lift it up. Let me see what I can do here. This is gonna be like the magic of television. Let's see if you can see in. Yeah, yeah. Not, not so it. well. Tilt, I think yeah. I still need to lift it up, so I'm gonna do it very carefully. Right here. Safety first. Okay, there you go. That's Ooh. what it looks like. Very comforting, um, you know, very soothing, very simple. And in this case, 100 percent plant-based. Um, but for people who um, are omnivores and want to add um, some other animal-based protein that's more traditional and also an option but I really feel truly unnecessary for the enjoyment of the flavors this is the essence of the kimchi jjigae which you know is like a classic you know I eat, one eats in one one's home on a cold winter wow. night um, and a great thing for weeknight cooking um, and so you know, it makes a whole pot. This is enough for four to six servings. If you are, just to give a few more tips to optimize your enjoyment of this, if you know that this is too much for you, know, you or whoever you're eating with or yourself, you could make all of it in advance um, except for the green onions. And just when you're reheating that portion, and you can even freeze this, cool it, freeze portions, um, and then bring it back to boil then add the green onions when fresh when you're bringing it to a boil so that you have that optimal experience and it'll be terrific it's already terrific i'm coming <laughs> over <laughs> you should have extra <laughs> Uh, Dr. Linda, thank you so, so much, um, you know, for a wonderful presentation, um, taking us, you know, through your journeys and uh, super, super looking forward to where you go next and how you will continue pushing uh, that ripple effect uh, for your patients, your community at large. Um, so thank you so much for what you do. Thank you so much for having me. And really same to you, you know, we're, we're part of this unusual group of doctors who cook out there and, um, you know, we can 
go further together than on our own because I think we all have a different niche in this. You know, you're fabulous at this podcasting stuff, for example. Um, <laughs> and it's a great way of just kind of building the community, which, you know, there's room for many, many more. So I would love to see more colleagues doing this with me. Yes, too. yes, yes. Um, for those that are interested in finding your book, finding your website, where can they reach you? Where can they find you? Yeah. So in social media, um, you can find me at Spicebox Travels on both Instagram and Twitter, where I might on Twitter, where I might be sharing those alligator photos. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but most of the most of the food is on Instagram. I'm also on Facebook at the Doctor Spicebox. My blog is SpiceboxTravels.com, and you can find my book uh, as they like as I like to say wherever books are sold. Um, and so again, that's called Spicebox Kitchen. Um, and I I really um, again think of it as a way to share my years now, 10 years of teaching people how to cook in a way that supports health uh, with a much wider audience than I can do one-on-one in San Francisco. It's all about that ripple effect. So um, thank you so much again for a wonderful presentation. And uh, yeah, looking forward to, you know, what's to come, you know, like we talked about, you know, for this talk. And uh, yeah, I hope to see you uh, soon, uh, very, very soon. So. (laughs) All right. Have a great day. And thanks again. All right, guys. Guys, thank you so much for watching another episode of Thrive Bites. If you like this, please uh, like, comment, and subscribe. And if you feel that this is a benefit for someone else, please let them know. And until then, please say goodbye to Dr. Linda. (laughs) Hey, guys, thank you so much for watching that episode. We hope that you enjoyed it. If you like this, please like, follow, and subscribe. And please follow us for the latest updates for this season, season five. And if you feel that this was a benefit for someone else, please let them know. And please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and YouTube. And thank you so much again. And we will see you on the next one.